Good afternoon, good morning, or good evening, and welcome to the American Age podcast. This is your host, C. Travis Webb, editor of the American Age, and I am speaking to you from Irvine, California. Hi, this is Stephen G. Fullwood. I am the exhibitions coordinator for Marking Time, Art in the Age of Mass Incarceration, and I'm in Cincinnati, where we just finished up our three-day symposium, which was an absolute success. Hi, I'm Seth Rodney. I am a freelance uh, art critic and budding curator, and I am coming to you from Newburgh, New York, where I live. This is to remind our listeners that we practice a form of what we like to call intellectual intimacy, which is giving each other the space and time to, to figure out things out loud and together. And today we are talking about uh, Alufemi Taiwo. I hope I got the name correct. Uh, I, I should have really looked up the exact pronunciation before we started the podcast, but didn't. Um, I mean, it's not going to be exclusively about him. It's going to be about some of his ideas, mm-hmm. and um, which his, his seems to be having a moment. I know, Seth um, or Stephen, did, were you the original one to send around the idea to talk about this, or was that is it was Seth? I think it was Seth. Yeah, yeah. yeah I did send yeah. it around, but to be honest, I, I, it was one of those uh, pieces that I have this habit, and maybe maybe you guys do too. Um, I will get wind of a really good piece and I'll not have time in the moment to read it. So what I'll do is I'll just open up a tab with it yes. and just keep that tab yes. there. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, by the time I, I left hyperallergic eight on April 8th, I had, you know, in both my browsers, I use, um, I tend to use Firefox and, um, uh, Google, so, uh, Chrome. No, no, that's Chrome. Chrome. Mm-hmm. Chrome. I had like, you know, 18 open tabs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've been trying so, to do that. Yeah. It, right, right. So this what this piece, which is titled um, "Being in the Room: Privilege, Elite Capture, Elite Capture, and Epistemic Deference," uh, was was in my feed for a while. And when I posted an excerpt of it on Facebook, my former boss, Rag Vartanian. Uh, Asked me, commented, ask, asking me whether this was the piece that Coco Fusco refers to in something Shiva Fiberology. It may have been, and maybe mm. that's how I came across it. I, di- I I told him I didn't remember because I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's 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 been in sort of at the edges of my consciousness for several months now. Okay. And I had I had, when Steph sent this around, I had just recently. Um, read a grist piece about him. Uh, and so anyway, it was just kind of, he's, he's popped up in a few places mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, for me. Um, and then I know Steven also, you know, it's like, Oh yeah, I definitely had wanted to talk about this. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so we're talking about it. Um, <laughs> so and, as is, uh, as is our habit, I'm sure we will end up talking about a great many other things related to this, but mm-hmm. um, Seth, do you want to I mean, since you kicked it off with sending the piece around, do you want to, uh, Start us off. Yeah, I could. Um, I don't know that I'm going to do a very good job of it because I read this like a week ago. But I'm going to. I'm going to try. And then okay. Give it the old college try. Yes, there you go. So basically, he makes this argument that um, this this thing that happens in academic circles where uh, we uh, defer to people who are marginalized 
when we are given the opportunity to do or write or present something that has to do with that particular community, um, not the piece doesn't necessarily have to, or the 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 piece writing doesn't necessarily have to um, be centered on those people, but if it involves them in some ways, uh, the idea is that. And it's, 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 it's a kind of, it's a tacit one, but the, the tacit idea is that we should, one should uh, defer to them. And, and, and this comes out of the way uh, Taiwo uh, describes um, how this kind of, this, uh, this situation kind of swam to the surface for him was that he had a colleague who, um, uh, said to him, I abandoned the pitch because I don't think I'm the right person to write this story. I have no idea what it's like to be black. I can send you the Google Doc with my notes. And he says that he flinched because he felt that this was kind of a trap. Mm -hmm. um, um, uh, and, he, and he started to think about this idea of standpoint epistemology, mm -hmm. um, which is the idea that basically comes down to these three sort of premises, which is, one, knowledge is socially situated. Two, marginalized people have some positional advantages in gaining some forms of knowledge. To, I would add to that, and some positional advantages in explaining some forms of knowledge to people who are unfamiliar with those um, things. Just to quickly clarify, this is not his formulation. This is like what standpoint epistemology is generally considered to be. Right. And, he, and he's, kind of content, he's kind of contending with this. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the third one is that research programs ought to reflect these facts. So he then proceeds in this piece to take apart this idea uh, or these assumptions uh, and say, and eventually come down on, on the side of, well, this sort of deference to people who are in the room, who belong to these marginalized communities, is kind of wrongheaded because just because they're in the room doesn't actually mean one that they have the knowledge that is useful to us or uh, to answering the questions that are being posed to the the group or two doesn't necessarily mean that they're actually really representative of those marginalized people mm. yeah, probably because they're in the room Right, so like there's there's, yeah. there's a degree of separation yeah. that's already happened that's allowed them to be in the room, mm -hmm. and and that struck me as really powerful. And there's a few other things he goes on to say, but we can start there. Yeah, I was thinking about the it presupposes a lot about identity, um, hmm. and again, I agree with what you said and what he said actually, which is by the time you get to these rarefied spaces, these people may or may not have had these experiences, you know, and or you're calling on them to do the work that you need to do. So even though the woman, right. Helen, I think her name was Helen, who called him, you know, with what I think were good intentions, but also it absolved, mm. she, I think it's, so it absolves one of doing the work themselves to simply just write a good piece, you know, and to think about things. So I was curious, I, I, I don't believe I've read, and it's been a minute, my brain is a bit mushy, but did he talk about what the piece was about that she was writing? Did he mention that? Um, I'm not, I'm not sure that he that. does. I don't think he does. Uh, I don't think I don't he does think go so, into, no, no. Like, that would have been no, helpful he just, And me. in fact, he, le he, 
Yeah, he leads off, I abandoned the pitch because I don't think I'm the right person to write this story. I have no idea what it's like to be black. And then, you know, just kind of from there, yeah. just, just like a an EG of probably a million conversations that happen like this in pitch rooms at magazines oh, yeah. all across the country. And so, yeah, yes. At least in New York and LA. Not just in academia, but corporate America, nonprofits. And so the gesture is is a good one. It's just that it's a start, but it needs to just constantly be pulled apart. And sometimes maybe in the way that um, Olufemi, um, Ulufemi, Ulufemi um, is describing it. Like, it's like, so what are we actually talking about here? And is this just some alacrum? Is this just some poor imitation of what we really should be doing? Um, which is, you know, Black Lives Matter signs all over the U.S., first step. <laughs> but what are we actually doing to dismantle some of the things that continue to plague these communities, these black communities, these poor communities, and so forth. So I feel like, again, I was sympathetic to Helen and sympathetic to people. And I've been asked to do this stuff a lot over the last couple of years, but I typically don't do it. I might hear something about your organization from someone who worked there or someone who had an experience there. And I'm like, I can't do that work for you. you know. And then sometimes I'm not all that... Um, I'm not as generous as Olufemi in terms of sitting with the issue of representational politics in that way. You know, I don't want to speak for black gay men. I'm a black gay man. And so I think it's, it's, it feels like a trap, but it also feels like giving you information you, that may not really benefit the community that you're talking about. So I don't really have that yeah. faith, particularly if I mm. learn a little bit about what you've done and how you've worked in the past. And I'll do a little reading and do a little thinking. Um, but I'm, 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 he starts off with people. He says something to the effect that, um, you know, it was, what do you call it? Those people who are, you know, uh, there's a phrase for it, but it's, you know, you don't trust the process, essentially. You know, he's like, I don't trust the process. Mm -hmm. But I, but I saw some sympathy there, and I'm interested in rereading it again. I read this on the plane. I don't know about you guys, but reading sometimes on the plane is awesome. I just feel like <laughs> I can focus. My mind is clear. Uh, I took a lot of notes. I was like, oh, yeah, I've been in this situation before. I get it. You know, or I, I, from my perspective, I get it. But again, it presupposes so much. Mm. It's like Travis, white man. Mm. So do you speak for all white men? Of course not. Do you speak for all white men who grew up in, in the South? No. Do you speak for all men who practice martial arts? No. Do you, so there are just all these things that I feel like are games that we're playing around privilege. So anyhow. And I, yeah. And I, yeah, I think I, I, one of the things that um, I feel um, like this moment in sort of civil reckoning is super American, like super duper American. So mm. it's it's clearly it's clearly true that the culture uh, uh, offered significant privileges to white males, and obviously a particular class of white males. If we want to zero down in that way mm -hmm, for mm -hmm. for decades, centuries, etc. And so there's, you know, all this sort of civil toil and reckoning, you know, around this, you know, people, you know, the civil rights movement pressed against this and gay rights movement pressed against this, mm -hmm. suffrage, you know, women's suffrage pressed against this, mm -hmm. you know, hundreds of years of this going on. And of course, 
is a principle, it's better. He has this nice uh, line, you know, about like sort of, you know, passing the mic. Well, yeah, like th- that's a good thing. Right. Like, it's mm-hmm. like if we're talking about women, if we're talking about the black experience, it's probably a good idea to right. hear from some Just women or some black people. Yeah. This is probably, yeah. But it's sort of like having a glass of wine is good for you and drinking only wine is really a bad idea. And <sighs> so, okay. And so, okay. Yeah. 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 Like, yeah. yeah. Like we should, we should all be like sort of, you know, it's better to be a little, it's better to be deferential. It's better to ask for uh, other people's perspectives, but that doesn't mean that only these people can talk about these situations Absolutely. because that's a really bad idea. It's <laughs> There's a, lots of other ways for us to nourish ourselves in our community. It speaks to the absence of one's own culpability in working on that situation. Do you know what I mean? from whatever perspective they're coming from. I used to be exhausted when I'd sit in a room and someone would say as a, and then they would list all these things. And I was like, well, how do you feel as a white Mm -hmm. man in Russia in 1964? So, you know, I understand. Oh, I've come to loathe that so much. Like, and I, and working in hyperallergic. Oh, I got that. Oh, you've spoken about that. Yeah. Oh my God. Like it's, it's just, it, it's just so, I feel like saying, what does that, what does that do? What, like, right. what work do you think that is accomplishing? So the way Olafemi says it is, uh, for those who defer, the habit can supercharge moral cowardice. The norms provide social cover for the abdication of responsibility. Yes. It displaces onto individual heroes, a hero class, or a mythicized past, mm-hmm. the work that mm-hmm. is ours to do now in the present. That was one of my notes. My notes was, my thing is, is this the work? And I had to say, no, it's a gesture, right. but it's not the work. Right. It's not right. the work. Passing the mic, yes. Passing the mic to give people, when I think of like corrupt you know, um, gospel preachers, or what do you call them? Um, mm. uh, prosperity. Charlatans. Gospel. Charlatans who... <laughs> I want the a gospel, $60 million dollar jet. If God right. wants me to have a gospel $60 million dollar jet, then I can do yeah. that. Craft a little dollar. And I'm thinking, yeah. yeah. What on earth are you, are people seeing when they see that? They see, oh, I'm going to get my jet someday too if I just continue to give him money? Like, there's some really, dis- <laughs> you know, disconnects that I can't really put my finger on, but they, but they circle in my mind. And I go, I'll come back to that because so, maybe I'll get them some more information. But I, I don't want you to pass the mic to these kinds of people. No. Thank you. Because <laughs> they ain't trying. Thank to. you. Keep. And also, right. it, it, like I said, it's mythologizing and it's a, it's an abdication, abdication of responsibility. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, so here's, a, here's an example of, of what that looks like. Uh, in real life terms, mm-hmm. you, you, you got. And every, if you've been listening to this podcast, you know this is like my favorite thing to do. Um, I was on Instagram a few months ago, and there's a woman. I need to do a little backstory here. There's a woman named Jasmine Wahi who is a curator at a Project for Empty Space, which is in Newark, New Jersey. She and Rebecca Jampol have been running that project for many, many years now, and they've they've well, they the project does a couple of things. Like, they have a dis, uh, display space, so they they do uh, what's the word um, mount shows regularly, mm-hmm. um, and uh, they also have studio spaces that they rent out 
uh, two artists are in the area. Mm-hmm. And they also, I think they also provide some studio, studio spaces, like residencies for some artists. They've shown several artists over the years that I, res- I respect a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, Kam- Kambui Ola Jimmy, um, uh, 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 Zoe Buckman, a bunch of people. Um, so I've known her for years. Mm-hmm. And I think it was like 2017 or 18, I wrote a profile on them for Hypoallergic. So we've been kind of professionally close for a while. And when I go out to various mm-hmm. dinners and things, I run into Jasmine all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, we were, she right after the um, slap heard round um, Hollywood, <laughs> uh, she posted mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. about that incident and said basically she just kind of she was just kind of she she got out of the Uzi and she just started shooting at men. She was like Chris Rock was wrong because the joke that he made was ableist and blah blah blah. I remember the story. And <laughs> and I and I questioned this. I went on to you know, this is I, I follow her and went on her Instagram feed. I said how is this ableist? And she said well Jada Pinkett Smith has um, alopecia, alopecia and underlying that is an autoimmune disease and la 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 and I well, so there's this long back and forth basically I, I argued you can't say that she's disabled if she doesn't identify as disabled that she de- identify as disabled no she doesn't have to because blah 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 autoimmune disease and I said okay but I don't understand that's like me saying that I'm um or someone saying that they identify as such and such without there being sort of any like actual physical basis for them identifying as that. And she said, well, how mm-hmm. do you, would you know, blah, blah, blah. We have someone here from the disabled community talking about this uh, and you need to listen to them. And I said, well, one, you're making the assumption that I'm not disabled. And then two, you're also making the Ooh. assumption that this one, this one person who is speaking on the behalf of the disabled represents the entire disabled community. Like what? Like how do you do? Basically, it ended up with her saying, "La la, you're not listening. I've told you. Da, 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 da. Get the fuck off my feed." And I was like, "Okay, I'm I'm out. Um, feel free to have the last word." It was in that moment that that kind of assumption came to the surface that the people who were quote-unquote marginalized because they were in the room they deserve we did we should defer to them we should not question their opinion on um jada pinkett pinkett smith's status as a disabled person because we have one disabled person saying hey that's the way it is autoimmune disease blah blah, blah. we should that's we should treat her as disabled did, did even chris rock I just know find that nonsense was that a part yeah. of the um feed uh, conversation did chris rock even know that she had alopecia it, it, the, and, and what you have is yeah, on that i think feed that was a, one of the things that was disputed that he did yeah, not it was, know this no was it was a, just a, this wasn't was specu- a thing for him no there's there's mm-hmm. speculation around it we don't know we don't know okay. but yeah. i mean just it's just that it's just that base assumption that that di- the, the quote-unquote disabled person in the room was the person that was had the opinion that we all should defer to i just find that ridiculous Ooh, context is so yeah, important it, here it's a it, it is it, you know, like I said, it's it, for, for me. It's it's just it's a good idea turned sour and gone bad. You know, like I, I can. It's very easy. Like it's a it's it's an adjacent idea that 
someone that suffers from disabilities and has dealt with, uh, let me give you a, 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 I'll give you the general, then I'll give you a really concrete example around religion. So it's that uh, if someone that suffers from uh, a disability or struggles with disability, this is their challenge. There is a common um, term that's actually a slight, let's say, okay. right? Like, so this is a, this is something very, we all are familiar with this, you know, like uh, kike for a Jew or something like that, right? Like right. you, you might be ignorant and not know that that's a super offensive term. Oh, right? you mean to call and someone so, handicapped, for example? Yeah, or, yeah, right, exactly. Like, you may not know that. Like, that may right. not be something that you're aware of, and this right. might be something that uh, really pricks or injures or hurts this particular community. Mm. And so when that community says, hey, this is really hurtful, um, you know, can you not do that? Like, that's a that's a pretty worthwhile, normal request. Like, mm -hmm. this is a good thing, you know, to, to, to do for one another. Uh, the example I was going to give, it's probably really not necessary because it's clear, but uh, is um, uh, what's often called Wahhabi Islam, right? They don't like the term Wahhabi because it, it idolizes a particular uh, kind of the founder of uh, this more radical Sunni sect uh, in Islam, mm -hmm. or fundamentalist, I should say, fundamentalist uh, Sunni sect in Islam. So they don't like to be called Wahhabis. This is an insult. Okay. So, you know, it's probably, okay, well, I won't do that then. Thanks for telling me. So, yeah. but so this is a good, this is a decent idea, right? It's, let's not use, let's not use the terms that are injuring this community. But when it is supercharged and it's used to, to shut down conversations, when right. it's used to wall off opinions, when right. it's used to supersede our own judgments and experiences, or to to give people sanction to feel a particular way mm -hmm. and to keep other people from feeling that way, it's just it's run amok. It's it's a it becomes cancerous. Like it, it and this is sort of where we are. This idea that is at its base uh, a gracious one and one that a civil society needs in order to function mm -hmm. at, at, with any level of decency um, has now become this sort of corrosion on the body politic where no one's allowed to talk to each other. We're only, uh, we're only allowed to profess. We all just get to profess about whatever and whatever we tell you is the truth mm -hmm. about, you know, our particular community or our particular experience um, yeah, I just, I, I don't, it's, it's how, it's how you kill conversations. It's not how you start them. Or oh, how you nurture them. Or how you nurture them. Yeah, right. Yeah. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm just thinking about this notion no, no, of what you both said, or you both have pointed to spokenism, spoken, spoken menism. It's, it's so sort of, I need to say something for mm -hmm. everyone here. <laughs> and right. Right. It, that professing doesn't really speak about vulnerability. It doesn't speak to one's, I'm curious about how you see this. Here's how I see this. And have that conversation. I was at a dinner last night yeah. after the Freedom Center's, um, after the Freedom Center, um, uh, what do you call it, screening. And I was talking to Dean Gillespie and his wife, Kelly. And Dean Gillespie is Ohio. Um, he is a formerly incarcerated man who was um, incarcerated, you know, he didn't do the crime. And the Ohio Innocence Project got him out of jail. He makes these amazing, I'll show them to you later, both of you, these amazing um, 
miniatures of diners. Like he loves diners. And of <laughs> course I love diners. So I love Dean and Dean is great. Dean, um, <laughs> white man in his late sixties. And he and I were talking, he and his wife were talking. And I said, the thing is, if I look at you solely as white people, I can't get to you. And you, mm. if you see me as a black person, you mm. can't get to me. And I said, no, mm. all we're doing was leading with these identities. I said, but we love diners and we're going to go to a diner, <laughs> me and Dean, sometime. <laughs> and we're going to connect. And so we talk about the culture of diners and how it allows people to talk to each other. And Dean's a talker like me. Mm. We see people were like, so can you tell me where such and such is? Is there any good place to eat around here? That So having... We talked more about our similarities and some of our um, disagreements, but mainly just about connecting. And it's the environment, mm. of course. It's the dinner. You know, no one wants to sit up and have a big political argument. But well, what I was trying to do mm. on my side was the part of the reason why I'm working with Marking Time is because it puts me in touch with people who have some experience that I hope to never have, but also to mm. be mm -hmm. to learn, to be sensitive, to really listen. And if you can't listen, I don't think you can change your mind. I think that you just come in... This is what happened to me mm -hmm. and everybody needs to understand this and I'm not changing. And it's like, well, there may be nuances and things of your story, like being, being imprisoned and, and having to hide your art so that if they find it, then you get more years or you get more punishment. Right. And this mm -hmm. man was taking the inside of cigarette containers, the little, sorry, inside of uh, cigarette um, packets, boxes, uh -huh. the boxes and would take the, uh, the, the the shiny side out the the what do you call it the, uh, the silver foil. side out the foil and he would negotiate with other prisoners to get things so he could build these mm -hmm. miniatures because mm -hmm. one of the ways he was able to stay alive and this is a through line through a lot of the uh, testimony I've heard over the last year from people about their experiences that art kept them alive mm -hmm. and I feel like oh this is great we can all get in this space this art space and talk about what that means. What I don't see, the reason why I bring up that is that because when Dean and I and his, and his wife Kelly and I were all talking, what you guys just brought up, if I'm in a room and I go, well, as a black man, I do this, that, 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 it's easy for people to conflate my experiences with all black people, obviously, but it also allows right. them, and I know that's not true. Everybody knows that's not true. Everybody knows one person mm -hmm. does not stand in for the whole, but that has been the way um, a marginalized group has been able to gain voice and footing in a community, right? Baldwin, right. Mm -hmm. I've been reading Baldwin because he grounds me, um, just interviews with Baldwin for the last, they're just amazing. But what he's been able to do, he goes, one year, Ralph Ellison got the National Book Award. So they told, everybody said they couldn't give it to a Negro two years in a row. <laughs> and so he was aware of the politics around it and, and always refused to, okay, so I have a voice, but how do I use it responsibly? How did I get trapped into this mm -hmm. voice? Mm -hmm. You know, these people won't have a microphone, but what can I do in my writing, in my plays, in my novels to express something that's not didactic or finger wagging, but to say, look at this, this could be your son. You know, it is your son, mm -hmm. you know? And so hopefully that's why I think about um, spokenism and also the passing of the mic that's gone sour. I like the way you put that. It just doesn't, it's not enough. It's a tool. A tool mm -hmm. in a box. And, 
and I know Steph was going to say something, but just to toss something, just to piggyback on that. It's, I mean, it's okay. in my view, it's precisely what civil rights was fought over was to not only be a representation of a community that's been demarcated by a dominant community. Mm-hmm. Like this was, this was, um, um, Malcolm X things, right? Why doesn't anyone ask me about the space program? Right. Like it's <laughs> like, so yes, you do have this responsibility, obviously, to, or if you're in a position of power, particularly during that era, you, you need to wield that power in a, or you responsibly try to wield that power in order to expand the table so that yes. other, so you can give the, the, the national book award two years in a row, a row to an ego. Right? So, I mean, so right. that's okay to exactly. do. And it's not even like, a, a it's, it's not even it's an interesting book. data set. It's a good book. Yeah. <laughs> right. right? It's what right. you said about America though, and, because and is yeah, it, sorry. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, no, just isn't that's, isn't that the point of that fight? So that like you see the person across from you is just I think it's a this point of all other person. Fights. Yeah. I think it's all freedom fight. Yeah. yeah. It's just the air to breathe and to be seen. Right. And so, yeah. but, but there's this reluctance to be, and I'm not sure what that reluctance is to not want to see people or to constantly want to take shortcuts mm. on the way to civil rights or not. We didn't call them civil rights. They were just like, here's a Coke and a smile. I mean, I don't know, you know, people around the world are holding hands, but it, it looks cute, but, but it's just, it doesn't really, it, it never cut it. It representation, those kinds of representations never cut it. I'm sorry, Seth, you said you wanted to say something. Oh, you, I know you wanted to say something. Or, no, I don't know. I was, I was kind of, yeah, I, I was sort of revving the, up the engine to get there. Okay. Um, I wanted to, to, to talk about what Olafemi uh, sort of strategy for getting out of this uh, loop-de-loop is. And he says mm-hmm. that, um, he has this idea, and, and, and both of you, please back me up on this. Um, that he thinks that what happens has to happen uh, metaphorically is that new rooms have to be built. It isn't just about like welcoming people uh, uh, who are marginalized into the room, but building an entire new room. Did did both of you kind of grok what he meant by that? Because I think I understand, but I'm not sure I do. I thought you want to go. No, no, please, Steve, jump. Go, go. I, I thought it was analogous to this idea of a seat at the table. It's like, I don't want to sit mm-hmm. at certain tables. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want to mm-hmm. sit in certain corporations. I think sometimes from the foundation, they just need to be raised or just fall out of favor because they're not doing the work that they say they do and they're not capable of it. And I don't trust those foundations. Mm. Now, what I don't want to do mm. is to go over here, build another, build something else that looks like the very thing that I'm running from. So I think the new right. tables are really new tables, new techniques, new ideas, new people, but people who have a moral center, you know, that they're not willing to Mm. compromise for a raise or to be sitting at the front of the table. And maybe we don't even Mm. need a table at all. You know, maybe it's some other kind of way Mm. of being in the world that, that, and I don't want to like, and I think it's really important to do this too, because I've been in rooms where people go, you know, Native American people have so much more knowledge of this. And so we need to let these people talk. And it's like, well, I heard that. I kind of get it. But like everybody, I believe, honestly, has some special knowledge they can bring to make a room or even a house look good and be useful to everyone. They just have to do the work. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder what it would be like, though, to, to be in a situation like that where you are Someone has introduced uh, the group of native 
Americans who are in the room and said, we want to hear from them first because they, we believe that they have a particular standpoint or a particular set of knowledge mm-hmm. that we, the rest of the, in the room, I want, the rest of the people in the room can learn from. I wonder if that was said, if I stood up and said, well, actually, I think that that's kind of a flawed premise. It may be that these people have knowledge that is absolutely useful to us, but it's possible that they don't. Or they, it's possible that they don't know as much as I do. It's possible that right. they, mm-hmm. that they, that they're not going to operate in, in good faith. Um, That's I it. wonder what the, That's it. I wonder mm-hmm. what the response would be though. It would not be good. It would not right. be good. But what's good though, Travis, is what's you, good is what... You would not be welcome in that space anymore, <laughs> anymore. if there's any like confusion about that. <laughs> what Luke Cumming says is good though, when he talk, reflects on trauma, is that these experiences can be, if we're very fortunate, building blocks. So I'm okay right. with the, the, the pushback. But what I'm, mm. Because it maybe lead to something constructive. So, But mm. it's hard because mm-hmm. we've li- lived through a lot of what you just described, it's like these people have this knowledge or this sex has this knowledge or this sexuality or these disabled folks or however folks want to identify. And I, I, my thing is at the end of the day, it's good faith and it's a, co- a moral core that I think that I'm really looking for in people as opposed to how they identify, how they identify you know? Mm. Yeah. I mean, I, the, the two things that I, I thought of around this idea of, of, you know, trying to, to create more spaces is one, I think our current moment is something close to a virtuous circle jerk. I mean, mm. I think the, the kind of the, the combination of, of NGOs, federal bureaucracy and academia has created a fairly masturbatory ethical environment in which the same ideas get circulated and the same people titillate themselves over the same ideas and clap, you know, use the golf clap for one another and lift each other up in the same, you know, just repetitions. Um, and we get nowhere. These, these ideas are not moving anything forward. They're not expanding the table. They're not improving civil rights. They're not dealing with inequality. Um, they're not dealing with, you know, to get more concrete about it, uh, our in completely broken immigration mm-hmm. system. I mean, this is, this is, should be on the short list of things that we really have to address as a country is we, we need a better immigration system. I mean, immigration mm-hmm. is, is the very thing that has made the United States the power that it is, mm-hmm. and it should continue at a clip. And we need to not be afraid of that. Yeah. It, so many of these issues, and we have real issues in this country and on this planet, real serious problems mm-hmm. and but serious proposals are not being floated in these groups and so mm-hmm. you have to when he says elite capture i, I think mm-hmm. this is kind of the overtones of this is that they are they're captured by their own vanities around uh, around mm-hmm. these ideas mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and that those networks have to be broken up they have to be expand not necessarily broken up i mean if you expand them they break up kind of on their own because that energy goes in other places right 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 um but you know he uses that flint michigan example like you know these sort of yes. this community mm-hmm. action these people got together to push these things forward like these are concrete on the ground steps that are taken uh to deal with that. Uh, an example of that here in Southern California is, uh, for example, San Diego Unified 
just started today, it's mask mandate again. Mm-hmm. So in, in San Diego Unified School District, you have to now wear your mask again indoors and mm-hmm. in, uh, in district buildings. And mm-hmm. then this, of course, would be a prelude to doing this again in the fall. And so people are starting to run for school boards and are starting to to build community networks around dealing with the problem in San Diego, not at a national level, nice. not at a federal level, mm-hmm. not at a state level, dealing with the issue yes. in San Diego. Mm-hmm. How do we keep our kids in San Diego out of these fucking masks? Mm-hmm. Like, how do we do that? How do we do it? And so that's what these people are doing. And so I think, you know, if there's something that keeps me slightly more optimistic about the next few decades, it's that. I do see those smaller grassroots. I mean, Stephen, you're participating in that very thing. Like your mm-hmm, your whole mm-hmm. project, like not, not to tell you about your project, but I mean, one of its its potencies is are these individual stories. Oh, like, absolutely. These these people yeah. were and these and and you've you've talked about these these campaigns to get that person out of prison, to get yes. these people out of prison that are there unjustly, unfairly, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of chewed up by a justice system that functions more like an algorithm than it functions like a functioning justice system. Yeah, it's a good point. You've alluded to this earlier around the abortion fight, you know, Mm. to say Mm -hmm. maybe this is the thing, you know, like I've told you, there have been people for for years, for decades, fighting because they knew this day was going to come. So now we have to Mm -hmm. tune into those networks and also align ourselves with those kinds of freedom movements. But they're always Mm -hmm. happening. Mm -hmm. And for folks who get turned on, great, great, find that turn on. I think that what I was thinking earlier, I wanted to point out one of um, Olofumi's um, quotes, which I really, really love, which is oppression is not prep school. And I can tell you mm. that I've been in the academy, I've been, you know, in archives from that point mm. of view, but mm-hmm. having knowledge or a special kind of knowledge doesn't really make you smart. It doesn't make you kind. It doesn't make you morally um you know, it doesn't center your morals. Mm-hmm. It just, it can be just another tool to get to wherever it is you want to go. So mm-hmm. the the heavy reliance on, sometimes the only voice that oppressed people are given is if they talk about their trauma. Right. And to me, right. that needs mm-hmm. to stop or find some different way to talk about it in the public sector because it feels very, it, that's the only way that some people are even afforded a voice, right? Is to talk right. about right. what's going on there. And it's like, no, <clears throat> again, it doesn't, um, it doesn't wash well. And I want to just see more people, individual stories that we can hear, that we can hear and that we can, um, be empathetic to. So I, I'm, I'm completely on board with what you just said, um, Travis, because I feel as if there's a fire going on and I've seen different examples of it where people are joining cults and, Oh my God, you know, if you, did, uh, you know, whatever, you know, some idea that I just find ridiculously um, incomprehensible, but, but I want people to be empowered to do things, but I don't want them to say they know more than a doctor or science because scientists, because they don't, <laughs> that's not what they do. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> you that's know? True. Yeah. Yeah, I want people yeah. to be empowered and I feel like their government or their religious institutions or the community institutions or even the institutional family has abandoned them. And so therefore the weight of the world is on their shoulders, which is why I think we have so many comic book movies because we have this hero thing, you know, Iron Man's going to save the world. And it's like, 
how many more times do we have to save the world? And maybe it's a metaphor for something mm. smaller than just saving the world, or something mm. around feeling utterly lost mm. and defenseless it, in a system it, that feels very, very, how do you change it, you know? Yeah. I, I had this question occur to me. This is a little bit off the topic, but um, it just came back to me that if a while back I'd had this moment where I thought, so we're talking about the sort of tension between acting locally, which is kind of what Travis was just bringing mm-hmm. up, and um, sort of acting acting with this sort of outlook for the universal, like having that person stand in for all people who look like them. So what is the term that is a one tick below universal that doesn't aspire to that kind of generality? I've, I've really struggled with this for a while because I don't like using the term universal. It just feels like it's too, mm-hmm. it's too, um, assumptive. Like I, I don't know that, I don't know that anything that any human being does is universalizable. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, you know but what I mean? You, but but I, you have general, generalizable? Generalizable, generalizable, yeah. Generalizable. Am I yeah, understanding you correctly? When people say, um, so for example, when people say you write out of your experience, Rather mm-hmm. than trying to appeal to everyone or have a general mm-hmm. movie, right? A Hallmark movie mm-hmm. versus mm-hmm. an independent film mm-hmm. where there's a single narrative, mm-hmm. a story that's really gripping. Mm-hmm. All right, so mm-hmm. I've heard it said in different ways. The personal is the political, which is over here a little bit, but that the more specific you get, that's when you get the universal. Because I think the term yes. has been perverted. Yes. You know, yes. You know, it's coke and a smile. It's someone shaking yeah, hands I across the right. right. So. I just want to, okay, I didn't want to understand what you were saying. Okay. Yeah. Um, Yeah, generalizable is, I think, is a good um, kind of compromise there. Um, There's something else that you just said, Stephen, that I wanted to deal with. It was before the coconut smile bit. It was... uh, Personal political, um, the more specific uh, you get, the more universal things become. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. James I mean, it's Joy, very true for, for, for I mean, these number of really wonderful <laughs> authors. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I mean, but they're talking uh, about specific experience, and they're not required to write about me, right? Write about you. Write about yeah. your experience. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, you know, there's this thing that happens now in the art scene. Uh, uh, well, I was I was also thinking about this a few minutes ago that feels like it comes out of this sort of standpoint epistemology, which is what I've noticed since I've left hyperallergic, not in all cases, Mm -hmm. but in a lot of cases, people are asking me to write stuff on black artists. Like there's a big push and and typically they're willing to meet my pretty pretty hefty fee Mm -hmm, of mm $2.50 a word to write on particular artists for these... uh, Catalogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just got um, asked by MCA in Chicago to write on Gary Simmons. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was just asked um, last week by Bonham, the Bonham's, um, uh, um, what do you call it, auctioneers, okay. um, auction house, to write on. Do you guys remember? You guys remember Good Times, right? Of course, I do. That, yeah, sure. right, and that la- sure. that painting, that really high sti- highly stylized painting where the people yeah. are dancing. Uh, I know his name. Uh-huh. Oh God! In uh, the yeah. really elongated bodies, yes, all yes, the bodies yes, are really yes. elongated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. So Ernie, they asked me to write somebody. on this. Ernie somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Begs. 
exempt and something like that. Anyway, yeah. they write, they asked me to write on this painting, one of his paintings that was, I think, going to auction. Um, mm. And, you know, there's part of me that's like, I'm glad to be asked, but I'm also like, like, is there any other reason why you're asking me <laughs> to write about this man's work? No, my like, Jamaican you know? friends. <laughs> <laughs> <Was> that? <laughs> no, and, and I mean, to put, to, to put even a finer point on it, years ago, uh, a guy named, um, oh, I think his last name is Love. Um, I'm blanking on his first name. But he asked me specifically to write an essay on an artist named Shabaka, who is actually... Um, originally from Jamaica, but now lives in Ghana. And at the time, I told him I didn't have the bandwidth to do it. I can't, la, la, la. He reached out to me again this year and said, we have this, you know, this catalog. We're ready to print. We really want someone. And he said, I'm having a really hard time finding anyone who is black to write on this. And I really want someone who is black to write on this work. And, and at the, the time, you know, he was willing, willing to meet my fee and I had the bandwidth and I was like, sure, I'll do it. But the whole time I'm thinking like, what fucking difference does it make? Like, you can, are you serious you right now? It? Well, I think it's a cover too, right? So if a white person wrote about this black artist, they are could be anticipating there being some blowback. Why didn't you try to reach right. out to a black artist? Black, black right. for sure. Right, you know, mm. and so that tiptoeing gets on my nerves because if that white person knows more about that black artist and is the foremost person on it, give it to that white person. I get it. But thank you. you know? and, uh, and also, and also, we're being a bit too stark with this. Like, why are we just saying black and white? Like, is, there may be like a, 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 an Indian scholar out there who happens to know more about this, or there may be a Latina woman who I like. There may be someone from I don't Vietnam who happens to like have studied. Like, so yeah. to me, this I mean, part part of you know. So there's the kind of the the intense nature of how America tends to grapple with these things. But I think also part of it is how few elite opportunities there are mm -hmm. that it creates so much intensity and so much, um, there's such a scrum to get these opportunities mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. people are leveraging anything they can to try and grab these opportunities for themselves. And so mm -hmm. one of the things that corporations, you know, these you know, big multi-million dollar corporations, multi-billion dollar corporations have done are is they're using race and representation as a cover Absolutely. to keep the table small. Right. So we Absolutely. don't we don't need we don't need 10 seats at the table. We still just need two, but now they're two black seats or they're two like an Indian seat. Yeah, whatever. You fill in whatever you want. It, it doesn't mm -hmm. matter. But really the issue is is massive inequality that really the issue is a lack of opportunity for enough people right, right. to, to sort of sustain um, the, the level of expertise and talent that exists exactly in this country. Right. I mean, Absolutely. you know, mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot of fucking smart people. Yes. Amazing <laughs> writers. There's a lot. And, Amazing yeah. writers who may not have the pedigree yeah. or the, res or the Vita to really get those to those experiences. So there may be mm -hmm. a perfect person of African descent for that job that he's looking for that you just took, right? Maybe mm -hmm. perfect, but that person may not even be in the area of where this person's looking or sure. knows any of those, mm -hmm. you know, the networks, because that person may not be plugged in that way, you know? For sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah.
Um, I want to be respectful of the time. So Stephen, you have to, I mean, so Stephen's uh, obviously traveling. I think he said that at the beginning, but he, his, uh, he has a checkout coming up pretty soon, I think. So. Very. <laughs> Yeah, okay. they're, the they're door knocking on the door now. <laughs> <laughs> right. oh, no, I'm oh my! Oh my God! Flashbang grenades and and and, and oh, yeah. <laughs> night vision goggles. Oh Jesus! Um, yeah. Get out of get. Seth, um, <laughs> uh, Stephen, do you guys want to to wrap it up, or you want to you want to take us out? Anyone want to lead us elegantly to the end? Well, can I read a bit from the piece? Oh, that would be oh, great. Were you reaching to do that? Were you reaching to do that, sure, Stephen? Sure. No, I was yeah. looking for one of my great quotes, but um, you go right ahead okay. with one of his great quotes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the smartest person in this room. Um, so. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, I'll just read the last um, two paragraphs, two or three. Deference epistemology asks us to be less than we are, and not even for our own benefit. As Nick Estes explains in this context of indigenous politics, Quote, the cunning of trauma politics is that it a- turns actual people in struggles, whether racial, racial or indigenous citizenship and belonging into matters of injury. It defines an entire people mostly on their trauma, not by their aspirations or sheer humanity, unquote. This performance is not for the benefit of indigenous people, but, quote, for white audiences or institutions of power, unquote. Mm-hmm. I also think of James Baldwin's realization that the things that tormented him the most were, quote, the very things that connected me with all the people who were alive, who have ever been alive. Oh, I love unquote. that. Yeah, I agree with that. That I, that, I, that I have survived abuse of various kinds, have faced near death from both accidental circumstance and violence, different as the particulars of these may be from those around me, is not a card to play in gamified social interaction. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When, or, mm-hmm. or a weapon to wield in battles over prestige. It is not what gives me a special right to speak, to evaluate, or to decide for a group. It is a concrete, experiential manifestation of the vulnerability that connects me mm-hmm. to most of the people on this earth. It comes between me and other people, not as a wall, but as a bridge. Beautiful. Mm. Well done. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Thank you very much for the conversation. It was good to see you both. See you both. Yeah, for sure. Take care. All right. Take care.